0: Support comes from Pacific Science Center, celebrating spring at Paxi with butterflies at the Tropical Butterfly House, sea creatures in the saltwater tide pool, and Jane Goodall, Reasons for Hope at the IMAX Theater, a journey around the globe to share good news stories. Learn more at org.
1: Welcome to Friday. Welcome to KUOW's Week in Review. Just to recap, this is what we do on Fridays to get together, have a little community with some local journalists who have been watching the news, just like you, but more so. And we we know a little something, and if we don't know, we go find out. And uh, on Fridays for an hour, we let you know what happened this week and uh, and what it means. And by our panel of journalists this week, I mean independent journalist Jane C. Who, Jane, thanks for coming back on. Good to see you.
2: Good to see you, Bill.
1: And from Insider, tech correspondent Catherine Long. Catherine, great to see you. Thanks. Hey, thanks, Bill. And Puget Sound Business Journal Editor-in-Chief Ryan Lambert. Ryan, great to see
3: you. Uh, Great to be here. Thanks for having me
1: on. It looks like at least some of you are working from home. Are you air-conditioned? I don't suppose. Jane is (laughs) saying Yeah. Well, uh, looks it like, looks like you're going to need it with a little heat wave coming up. Upper 80s on Monday, mid to upper 90s on Tuesday and Wednesday. Although if you lived through last year, your your iron has already been forged. Uh, some head nodding here.
4: Yeah, that's right. I think uh, expectations really changed after last year. I'm looking for a looking for a roommate now. And every single person who has called to ask me about my place has demanded whether I have AC. I, I do not. I think that's... Losing me a lot of losing me a lot of interest. That
1: rent is dropping, perhaps.
4: <laughs> or just <laughs> yeah, stand gotta, for a slash
1: rents. <laughs> <laughs> that's really interesting, Catherine, because I, you know, as a long timer, that's that was not not something that would have happened, um, you know, many years ago.
4: Yeah, I, I think after last year, folks uh, folks really got it in their heads mm. that it's going to be hard to hard to tough it out in the summers here without AC going forward.
3: Well, that might be the best perk uh, employers can provide is uh, office AC. You know, that's that's the best way to get workers back into the office these days, right?
2: It's true. I recently joined a co-working space and I have been ducking over there uh, on days that it's kind of hot just to avoid sweltering and trying to, you know, work while sweaty.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. That's going to come up later in the show, of course, is some local corporations cutting back on hiring. and the effect of remote work. Um, meanwhile, our, we're, we're bracing for heat here, but our state drought was declared over this week. The state drought coordinator, Jeff Marty, says after the third wettest spring on record, we are now considered to be in a normal condition in Washington, even if this summer from here on out is dry and hot.
0: You know, we had a really good snowpack, and it's still, it's still melting away in parts of the state. So there's there's just a really good foundation in terms of water supply and soil moisture. But we wouldn't expect, say, a dry stretch in July and August to really change the game that much.
1: So, Jane, that sounds like good news, right?
2: Overall, I think yes. Um, definitely prefer to not be in drought than to be in drought. Um, I think a lot of folks hope that that means we'll have a more relaxed fire season. Mm. Um, unfortunately, I think the jury is still out on that. Um, so Hannah Weinberger did a great piece for Crosscut uh, last month about how, though you might think that more rain uh, helps with uh, reducing wildfire risk, it actually might not help in the long run because more rain means that more weeds can grow. And in particular, cheatgrass is very flammable, um, and we've had a pretty wet spring. A lot of that has grown. A lot of it has dried out. So we might not quite be out of the woods yet in terms of
1: uh, reducing fire risk.
4: Ugh, cheatgrass. It's one of those plants where the name is uh, really descriptive. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. It helps you make a villain out of it, which it might be, in effect. Yeah. And and so uh, even even if we, the, the fire season's a big open question, and then... Last year, as I recall, the smoke from the fires we did have was not as bad as feared. Yeah, I
0: think that
2: we somehow lucked out and did not get the worst of it. Um, I remember going on a road trip last summer and it felt like basically everything east of here was much worse than here. And I mean, I think this is just something we're going to come to expect uh, year after year here, that smoke season is a thing. Um, and I think last year really showed how, even if the fire is not close to where we are, smoke can still impact you in a big way. Like I remember, um, I am originally from Kentucky and a lot of my friends in Kentucky were like, why are all our skies kind of weird and hazy? And it turns out it was all West coast fires that had just made it all the way to the East coast.
1: Wow. We are the cheatgrass of American regions, <laughs> frustrating, frustrating other people. Did you hear that Eddie Vedder had to cancel a show because his he said his vocal cords got damaged by smoke in Europe?
2: Yeah, I did not read beyond the headline, mm-hmm. um, but it, hopefully that's not permanent.
1: Let's hope not. I mean, he, I mean, I I think a, a smoky sound kind of uh, suits him. But yes, <laughs> let's hope let's hope he's in all in good health. Ryan, anything to add? Making any preparations? Any expectations?
3: No, I'm, I'm interested to hear from Eddie Vedder, though. That's, uh... Yeah.
1: Well, he'll be a guest soon. He's a big fan of the show. Um, okay, Since let's take a pause, and since we we briefly brought up hiring plans and the beauty of an air-conditioned workspace, let's talk about what Amazon and Microsoft are saying about at least slowing growth and and how permanent that might be and why that's happening, and then a fascinating back and forth when it comes to our tech culture and our art culture. A great topic that we're going to tackle in just a moment as Week in Review continues. I should mention, if I haven't, that you can watch the show because we're live streaming it all on uh, YouTube and Facebook. You just search KOW Public Radio. So we'll see you over there, and we'll talk to you in a moment after a quick break.
0: Support comes from Pacific Science Center, celebrating spring at Paxi with butterflies at the Tropical Butterfly House, sea creatures in the saltwater tide pool, and Jane Goodall, Reasons for Hope at the IMAX Theater, a journey around the globe to share good news stories. Learn more at Paxi.org. Support comes from the Discovery Inn on Washington's San Juan Island, an island getaway that's a ferry ride away, now taking reservations for summer and fall. More information and booking available at discoveryinn.com.
1: You are with KUOW's Week in Review and with you, breaking down the news are insider tech correspondent Catherine Long, Puget Sound Business Journal editor in chief Ryan Lambert, and independent journalist Jane C. Hu. And I'm Bill Radke. The growth of jobs in this region stops for nothing. At least that's what it has seemed like. Even through the pandemic, companies have been building new skyscrapers and campuses and hiring and hiring and hiring. That is finally moderating among at least the most visible companies. Microsoft says it's slowing its hiring. Google and Apple are big here, and they're doing the same. Amazon is pausing work on most office towers in Bellevue. Business journalist Ryan Lambert, why is this happening? Well, I
3: I think you got to take it back a, a couple of years. Uh, in 2020 and 2021, a lot of these companies were just experiencing this record growth uh, over the course of uh, you know, the expansion of e-commerce and uh, the heightened cloud computing and of certainly of uh, the advances in sort of remote work. And you just saw this amazing growth uh, and it wasn't you know, specific to Amazon or to Microsoft. It was really spreading to uh, all these companies and you saw it uh, you know, even at the smaller scale Uh, sort of in the VC world, there was just a lot of capital uh, flowing to uh, small and mid-sized tech companies. Well, it was only a matter of time before that sort of leveled off. Uh, The music is, if it's not stopped, it is certainly slowing down. (laughs) People are looking for their chairs. And I I think uh, what's happening is, uh, you know, companies are starting to uh better calibrate uh what their plans are and, and what the current uh, market is looking like um, one of the questions uh that it was constantly coming up to me uh over the last uh two years as a lot of companies uh particularly tech companies were moving toward uh, remote work and they were pulling back from the office Microsoft, Amazon, Google, Facebook, they were investing more and more into real estate spaces and office spaces. Right. And my question was, well, what do they know that the rest of us don't? Mm-hmm. And um, I never got a clear answer from that. And you're never going to get a clear answer from uh, a broker because, uh, you know, they're kind of cheerleaders for the uh, uh, commercial real estate community. And, uh, you know, what, we, what we've seen um, and what we've uh, sort of analyzed is take a look at where that growth is happening. Uh, Google has made major investments in Kirkland. Uh, they're opening several offices and have a couple of offices uh, planned uh, in that area. Uh, Facebook uh, moved in uh, in late uh, 2020, uh, bought up a space that uh, had been designated as REI's headquarters. As REI said, you know what, uh, we're, we're done with this uh, headquarter idea. We're just going to go uh, completely remote.
1: Right. That was fascinating.
3: Yeah. And then, of course, uh, you have uh, Microsoft with this massive expansion of their uh, headquarters campus in Redmond. They're also developing a hub out in Atlanta. Uh, And then, of course, you have uh, Amazon uh, essentially setting up uh, an HQ2 uh, in in Bellevue. I mean, what they're doing in Bellevue rivals, uh, at least from an employee count, anything that they're doing in Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. So why is all this uh, investment in real estate activity happening in those suburban areas. Well, you got to look at um, sort of the hiring market. And one of the most coveted workers uh, in the tech hiring pool right now is uh, senior software engineers. Those senior engineers are typically homeowners or aspiring homeowners. They have families. They are living in sort of that suburban setting or they they want to live in suburban settings. So that is where tech companies are kind of looking to position themselves uh, to make it more convenient to attract those type of workers. And when you talk about, you know, uh, the escalating salaries in tech, uh, a lot of times those top end salaries are going toward those uh, senior software engineers. So I think that is uh, sort of what you saw that got us to this point. And now you're seeing a lot of that slow down and workers aren't as eager to get back to the office and, you uh, you know talking to a couple of the people at amazon uh this had been in the works for a while you know kind of looking at all right this is what we thought uh our office space in bellevue was going to be back when we were sort of uh devising this plan in 2019 uh this is not the case we have to kind of rethink how we're using all this office space um and uh, that's that's kind of where we're at right now it's mm-hmm. it's sort of a moment to stop and reflect and figure out uh where this is going but Catherine, I i'm sure you've been following this uh uh, so sort of what do you think?
4: I mean, what strikes me about the situation is um, it just seems like a like a big blow to Bellevue. You know, they've got these these huge towers now sitting vacant for an unknown period of time. And, uh, you know, a couple of years ago when Amazon announced that they were uh, going to to put 25,000 people in Bellevue, Bellevue looked like it was sitting pretty. You know, there was all this noise about, uh, Amazon being disgruntled about the payroll tax and, and Bellevue being better positioned to, uh, to be a a real home for Amazon. It had a much, much, uh, more business friendly climate. And, um, I, I, I feel for the folks in Bellevue now that, uh, that, that Amazon has, has paused growth there, but I I think you're right on the money when it comes to, uh, Amazon and, and Microsoft's expansion plans being, uh, targeted towards attracting you know what these companies are seeing as the most valued workers or the top level independent contributors, the middle managers. these are the people who are have really been in position to demand higher salaries uh, since the start of the pandemic. We've seen this this great reshuffling uh, those folks hopping from company to company leveraging offers and uh, it's been it's been a really hot market for jobs. I think there's 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 certainly been been pullback in that lately.
1: I want to hear from Jane, but Catherine, just one question on a, a point you made when you talk about boy, it's got to be tough news for Bellevue. You know that some people are hearing that, thinking, do you mean good news? I mean, we've been complaining about the growth for for years now.
4: Yeah, I I, I think it's certainly a double edged sword. I mean, even recently, uh, you know, Bellevue, I, I know was was looking at Amazon's expansion plans and 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 rethinking, saying, you know, we, we thought we wanted this, but wait a second. <laughs> mm. this is this is going to be a lot of people. Are we sure we're prepared for this? I, I think it, it's also possible it could come as a, a, a welcome pause for them to rethink some of their their infrastructure in that city uh as Amazon resets. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, a moment of slowing down seems like uh, it it would do the market some good right now, uh just to sort of assess what the future of, of office space looks like, and um, Amazon is uh, beyond the office space. They've made so many commitments to the infrastructure in Bellevue to a lot of affordable housing measures in Bellevue and things like that. So Amazon seems very much committed uh, to to that presence in Bellevue. and you know if we just want to look at the, the the brief history of Bellevue, you know go back a couple of years when uh, Expedia left, uh, Expedia was one of the largest employers in Bellevue and they Pulled up stakes and moved out to uh, uh seattle and interbay uh there was a lot of hand-wringing at that time uh, about you know uh who would move in who would take the spot and now it's uh you know uh, seemingly bigger and better than ever in terms of uh having these large employers come in uh with with big uh, high-paying jobs uh into the area so uh, i wouldn't count out bellevue just yet but it is certainly a moment to sort of uh sit back and reflect and uh you know we talked to uh, Bellevue Mayor Lynn Robinson uh, earlier this week and and they're kind of uh, saying okay this could be a good thing and that you know take that for what it's worth but that that is kind of the the position of uh, you know uh, Bellevue City Council. So,
2: wondering how long these effects will last. I think everyone's really starting to embrace working from home As someone who worked from home starting in 2017, uh, I've been doing this for a while. And I recently reached kind of a breaking point after five years of working out of my house where I just need to be out of here as much as possible. And I'm sure the pandemic didn't help with that. Mm -hmm. Um, I imagine if you have children at home uh, in particular, the working from home thing is going to get old. Um, And I, I wonder what the downstream effects are. So for now, you know, folks are... Uh, Moving out of these office buildings, and it seems like largely working from home, but I wonder, is that going to increase demand for a minimum two or three bedroom apartment or house so that people actually have a dedicated space for that? Um, Or I guess in a lot of cases, um, are folks going to move out of this area and into more rural areas or just other cities or towns in the West altogether if their work truly allows them to be fully remote?
3: Yeah, I, I mean, I would look at you know, some of the tech companies moving into, uh, particularly Bellevue, Redmond, and Kirkland, and um, you know, uh, frankly, they are at the the high end of the pay scale. You saw Amazon and Microsoft both bump up their pay scales to compete with, uh, you know, Google and Facebook. Uh, particularly Facebook, we heard was uh, you know dri- driving up a lot of the compensation uh, for uh, some of this tech talent. Um, so I think when you're paying somebody that much and you're saying, well, you can make, you know, 250 grand a year and, you know, come into the office when we ask you, or you could make, you know, 75 to 100,000 less and work from home. I think that's a decision, you know, a lot of uh, uh, tech workers are going to have to make at a certain point. And, you know, this week we've seen a whole state of uh, tech layoffs at smaller companies. Uh, a, a lot of uh, unicorn companies or companies uh, valued at over a billion dollars. So. You are seeing a slowdown, um, you know, throughout the tech community. Um, And, uh, you know, uh, that has manifested with layoffs at some of those smaller companies, but uh, not yet uh, for the larger uh, tech companies.
1: We got a couple of comments in our Community Feedback Club. Uh, I asked about this, and Alex and West. i basically asked good news or bad news, this, this slowdown. And Alex in West Seattle said, I owned a small landscaping company, and 95% of my clients work for either Amazon or Microsoft. They pay very well, and in return, I pay my workers very well, too. Slowing is okay, but if they start shrinking, that is when I will worry if I were to lose those deep-pocket clients— then i would have to either cut perks or let go some of my workers so there's a reminder of the the so-called trickle down effects or the 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 spreading effect of money that it's not just about Uh, one rich group of people. Uh, And then one more comment. Uh, This listener says, this is good news. Time to be realistic about sustainable growth and put our sights on parts of our society that need growing. Real mental health resources, socialized health care, housing, climate resilience. Stop obsessing like it's 1995 about economic growth of corporations. We should redefine what we mean by economy and it should include our well-being and that of our neighbors. Uh, Let me... Ask about since we we brought up the the tax the the jumpstart tax that uh, Amazon and 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 some other big well-paying companies pay in Seattle but not in Bellevue we you know this this is uh, one reason that the hiring of Seattle corporations matters is we we heard the reaction about uh, a landscaper but also there's the fact that this money, this tax revenue on every employee making at least $150,000 a year at these big companies, that, that goes to fund services in the city of Seattle. And this week, the city got its first look at how that money is going to be divided up. So uh, what did we learn? I can't remember what one of us knows the most about that. Well, <laughs> what, what did we learn this week about where that Jumpstart money's going?
4: Um, so the jumpstart tax, uh, generated $234 million, uh, less than half of that is going to go towards affordable housing. A a huge chunk of it is going to go into the the city's general fund, uh, including to to pay for things like COVID-19 related expenses and, um, you know, I, I think I think that 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 listener made some some nuanced points. Uh, I think that, you know, the, the growth of large corporations, especially Amazon and Seattle, have always had an impact on on housing costs, on, on livability, on affordability. And the jumpstart tax uh, formalized that relationship and made it it made it codependent in a sense so that Amazon's growth is directly tied to the city's ability to pay for some of these most necessary services.
3: Yeah, certainly the the. The fascinating thing about the upstart tax, and, and there has been a lot of question uh, over, you know, how these, how much these funds would actually help, uh, what they were um, sort of designed to address. Uh, it's they've actually exceeded expectations, and in year one, they've raised uh, two hundred thirty-four million in revenue for the city of Seattle. And of course, you know, we said about eighty-five million of that uh, went to the city's general fund, and about ninety-seven million uh, went toward housing. I think. Uh, the the interesting thing here is uh sort of the iterations that came uh before the jumpstart tax were you know uh, kind of framed as the uh you know the 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 tax amazon it was very much targeted at uh amazon and has about uh employees at its corporate offices uh in seattle and many of them would uh sort of uh fall under the parameters of of that jumpstart tax and uh know so we've been looking at that very closely and i think you know one of the really interesting things to note here is that amazon's investments uh in affordable housing have kind of coincided uh with the introduction of uh the jumpstart tax uh amazon says since uh, january 2021 it has invested about 344 million dollars into affordable housing in the puget sound region uh, to either preserve or create uh units and uh, they say it's about Uh, 2,800 units that they've preserved or created, and about 1,100 of those units are in Bellevue. That's what I find so interesting, that a lot of the Amazon's investments uh, have been targeted uh, in Bellevue. They made a big uh, $2 billion national commitment uh, to affordable housing, uh, and that commitment was targeted in in Washington, D.C., Nashville, uh, and in Bellevue. And sort of my takeaway from that was uh, this is Amazon um, sort of saying we can do this the easy way or we can do this the hard way, but we're going to do it our way if we're going to do it. If we're going to do it uh, at all. Uh, so Amazon has put a lot of money toward affordable housing, but they've certainly done it on their terms. Um, and uh, it, it was interesting to see that their investments outside of uh, the uh, Seattle's Jumpstart tax uh, were were much larger than what's actually generated by the Jumpstart
1: tax. So. so, did what we learned this week tell us anything about the future? This tax has been controversial and contested. Do we know anything more now about the future of the Jumpstart tax?
3: You know, I think uh, that is uh, that is a great question, and uh, one that I don't think a lot of uh, our um, uh, city leaders in in Seattle can answer uh just because they don't know uh what's happening with the budget uh, moving forward it took us uh 6 months into 2022 to actually figure out where the funds were going and how much was actually going toward housing um i think it'll get uh progressively better uh over time as we uh, you know uh, recover from uh the pandemic and get into the recovery and perhaps you know uh through a recession um uh but right now uh a lot of those funds are are being sort of uh redirected to help the city in other ways uh it's quite clear you know talking to uh you know a couple of city council members and uh officials in the budget office that the the city needs you know more revenue and they need to find more ways to generate revenue and uh, create revenue streams so i think uh this might not be the end of it uh you know in in terms of uh, different taxes but uh it is certainly going to help a lot more as we you know get closer and closer to that recovery.
1: Now
2: that we know the budget distribution, has there been any response from companies that are affected by this tax?
3: Not yet. Uh, they're all just kind of uh, sitting tight. It was interesting the timing uh, around uh, sort of that announcement that uh, you know, uh, shortly after we published the story, uh, saying that uh, less than half of the jumpstart tax is actually going toward uh, housing that Amazon uh, right around that time came out with. Uh, it's uh, sort of big report on how much it has invested in affordable housing around the Puget Sound region. So, um, and just talking to you know, folks at Amazon, uh, they are hyper aware of uh, sort of their relationship uh, with the city of Seattle. They would like that to improve. Um, and they want to be seen uh, in every way as sort of a, a good partner uh, with the cities that they're in. Um, so they but, didn't uh, come out
1: and say, "Oh, this tax to pay for affordable housing. What do you know? Turns out it all it goes to the general fund." <laughs> they didn't
3: exactly say that, but no. what they did say is, uh, "We uh, we've certainly made investments. Uh, look at all the look at all the great work we've done in Bellevue." And by the way, you know, just a big thank you to all the uh, city council members in Bellevue who <laughs> made this possible. So you know,
1: right. And it was I think what did you say, Catherine? Something almost a hundred million dollars did go to uh to housing projects. Uh, Ninety seven no, no, million. Ninety seven million. And some of it get, gets peeled off uh for general fund use, at least during isn't that just a short term thing? While the if only the pandemic were short term, but I but I think that was a, a two year stipulation, right, for, for COVID uh, uh, relief
3: yeah, two- year stipulation yeah. to uh, top off the general fund. and yeah. uh, you know, then after that, I think sixty two percent of the revenue generated from the jumpstart tax will go toward uh, housing. and okay. so like I said, it, it, it it's designed to uh, improve and, and be more beneficial over
1: time. right. All right. Um, one before we leave amazon and and Microsoft in the effects of their growth, you know the, the the money that these corporations pay from this payroll tax—we talked about it funding city projects. Uh, also, the the money that they pay their workers helps makes the cost of living go up for everybody, including artists. So this has been a great tension, and this week that tension flared over uh, because of a new art exhibit. There was a public backlash to an exhibit uh, on planned on First Hill at the Museum of Museums. Catherine, we describe what happened there
4: this art show was called amazon versus microsoft and it was intended to highlight art from uh employees of both of those corporations uh trying to to perhaps recast some of our tech worker denizens as uh creative figures um reframe how people in seattle see them but there was a a, a swift negative reaction on, on social media to this art show. Catherine, uh, may
1: I ask you, what kind of art are we talking about? What art do uh, tech workers create that the that the uh, exhibit was getting at?
4: You know, I, I, I'm not actually sure. Maybe maybe somebody else has a better idea. But I was under the impression it was a it, there was an open call for art submissions from from tech workers, and yeah. and I, I'm not I'm not sure that it was confined to a, a specific medium. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I think it could have taken a variety of forms. Okay. Uh, but the, the the reaction to this was uh, was 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 negative folks saying uh, you know we uh, y- you have this museum space you could choose to uplift anybody and you chose tech workers people who are some of the most privileged residents in Seattle and and we, we can argue about that obviously there are employees for Seattle and micro- or for Amazon and Microsoft that uh, are, are not paid very much contract workers warehouse workers uh, video game developers people who have strong artistic, Backgrounds and, and tendencies, and maybe work for for tech companies because they they couldn't make a go of it uh, financially in the art world. Uh, but the the museum curator um, yanked the show, said we're we're not going to do this anymore, and um, it's 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 on the back burner. I mean, I really see this story as as sort of a a, a, a sigil for how the city is grappling with the impact of of tech giants. Uh, we've we've seen a lot of discussion uh, over the past decade about. Uh, the extent to which uh, tech employment and tech growth in Seattle has, has decimated Seattle's arts community. This, this really seems sort of like a, like a watershed moment in that debate.
1: Jean, I think a reflection
2: attention? of how people just assume that art and tech are somehow diametrically opposed from each other mm-hmm. and Um, I mean, I know people who have worked at tech companies largely as contractors, so, you know, not the full time folks with all the nice benefits making 200K a year, you know. Um, They have worked those jobs as a way to save up money so that they can do their art. Um, And if I remember correctly, I think Greg Lundgren's original post announcing this exhibit um, specifically mentioned folks who are, you know, working on an hourly basis, who aren't the most privileged and well-resourced folks who work at those companies. And I think there's a real opportunity to try and highlight those artists Um, that could really give them a boost in their career. But I can also see exactly why this would touch off a nerve with folks, uh, especially working artists who are trying to compete with uh, folks who are making so much money a year. Um, I know a lot of artists who are struggling to to stay in this area. Um, But what I wonder is, you know. With all of the resources of these companies, it, is there a way that uh, they could channel that in some way? Like, could Amazon or Microsoft hold their own show? Um, or I guess even better, maybe treat those employees better? But um, that's a bigger question.
3: Mm-hmm. Oh, that's I, interesting you actually say that. Uh, yeah, It wasn't a couple of months ago. Uh, back in May, we wrote a story about uh, how Amazon has a, a whole program, uh, you know, set up sort of uh, commission artists and support artwork and things like that. So, you know, these companies are, are very much involved. Um, I was just sort of struck by the headline, Artists Against Art. I didn't understand that.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I, 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 part of it is the intention. I'm, I'm still not crystal clear on the intention of the... Of the the curator, the person who who runs this museum, because at uh, at one point he said uh, the strongest arts museum, uh, the strongest arts ecosystem is also the most inclusive one. Tech bros included poor people, rich people, people with shared ideals and people with strange ideas, everyone, which makes it sound like uh, creating a dialogue and getting beyond our stereotypes of tech bros. But then he also said, I want artists to make more money. I want artists to call Seattle home. I want to help give them enough opportunity, visibility, support, community to stick around. That requires building a larger patronage, a larger network to support them. And rightly or wrongly, I thought that the most mighty economic engine to support local art was the tens of thousands of people employed by high tech in the city. Which makes it sound like, as he says, rightly or wrongly, he wanted to tap into the money that rich tech workers could use to buy art. So was that also setting people off? Not just the in, the income inequality, but the idea of, I don't know, cozying up to, to tech companies to get their money? What was your take on what the intention was?
4: My impression is that uh, the, the museum had several, several simultaneous intentions. (laughs) What you said, uh, obviously to, you know, cozying up to the tech community, uh, cultivating them maybe as patrons of, Mm -hmm. of the art world, Mm -hmm. uh, which is a dynamic that is present in the art world. You know, artists, artists need money and, and who is going to pay for art typically wealthier people. So I, I don't think we need to be coy about that. Um, Bringing bringing some of these uh, talented artists, who I'm sure work for tech companies, uh, to, to light, giving them a, water, a wider audience. And I think also, I, I think the exhibit was intended to be a little a little provocative. You know, when you got a, when you got a title like Amazon v Microsoft, the mm-hmm. Museum of Museums is somewhat new. Uh, I, I think I think they saw this as a good way to to raise some awareness of of um, their their mission.
1: Yeah, well put. Well, we'll see if this is. I, I had the sense from from the, uh, the the owner of the museum that this may not be the end of it. It's the end of this concept. The the boxing glove that was a riff on the old uh, Warhol Basquiat uh, in boxing gloves um, icon from decades ago. But but this idea of Amazon versus Microsoft sounds like it's it didn't fly and it and it and it it, it didn't fly and it did die. But maybe there's a chance. I mean, we, in a sense, we did get a, a dialogue going. We're talking about it right now. Uh, there was a great piece in Crosscut, I thought, about this this whole topic and this tension. Lots of different point of views. So maybe there's room for um, some of you brought up the idea of, of uh, you know, and Amazon curated artwork or just panel discussions about this very tension. Maybe the topic is not it's not completely uh, over it, canceled. Maybe that, maybe, maybe it didn't get canceled. Maybe it'll just get changed.
4: I mean, I would love to, I would love to go to this art exhibit. Uh, I Mm. I would, I would love to see art that has been created by, by a a wide range of Amazon and Microsoft employees. These are residents of our city and um, they're, they're not just tech bros. (laughs) Uh, They, you know, I, I, I'd love to, I, I, I I would love to see what kind of art they create. I think
2: there's a lot of promise in the idea, but obviously it requires thought and discussion to really do well.
3: Um, I would imagine certainly gotten more attention now that it's not happening than it would have gotten if it just had gone through without a hitch.
1: Maybe, maybe. This idea you're saying, I would have liked to see, that That was my first reaction was, well, I'm not an artist and I'm not a tech bro. I'm just someone who might've gone to this exhibit. And so did an exhibit get taken away just because... Because that this of some factionalism, you know, oh, uh, the 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 growth and the tech growth means that life is harder for artists. Therefore, people who would like to see this exhibit don't get to. I, I
4: I think I think some of the critique was certainly valid. You know, I think space for art is limited, and I think you know as as an institution that is focused on providing a space for artists, I think the Museum of Museums. Um, it's, it's incumbent upon them to think critically about what kind of art they invite into their space. Mm. Uh, I would love to see this exhibit occur in, in an Amazon office that was maybe open to the public. Mm. Uh, you know, Amazon has, as, as Ryan mentioned, Amazon does have a commitment to, to art. Uh, and we, they, um, they, they, they certainly do seem to be reckoning with their impact on, on the city. Uh, I'm thinking about their, uh, their, their pink elephant, they're saving the pink saving of the pink elephant car wash sign and, and putting it putting it um, adjacent to an Amazon property. I, I I think that having an exhibit like this would you know align with <laughs> th- those sorts of actions on Amazon's part,
1: right? All right. Let's take a pause here. It's KOW's Week in Review. Always looking for a wealthy patron for our, uh, for our show, so feel free to chip in there. That's the pink elephant in the room. Uh, we've got Catherine Long here from Insider and Jane C. Who, independent journalist. And we've got uh, Puget Sound Business Journal's Ryan Lambert streaming the show on Facebook and YouTube. And as I say, quick break, and we're going to come back and figure out what happened around... Some King County drop boxes. What can you say around a drop box? Is this voter intimidation? Stay tuned. You're listening to KUOW's Week in Review. You can actually be part of the show, as you heard I read the comments of a couple of thoughtful listeners on the topic of growth and slowing growth in this region. If you ever want to participate in that way, join our community feedback club. And here's how to do it. You text the word SOUND to the number 206-926-9955. Again, text the word SOUND to 206 926 Ninety-nine fifty-five. You can also always go to kuaw.org/slash-feedback. So we are breaking down the news of the week for you. Uh, By us, I mean we journalists. We've got Jane C. Hu here, and Ryan Lambert, and Catherine Long. And this week, you know, we're in primary election season. You can mail or drop off your ballot now. But what if you don't feel comfortable dropping your ballot because of what's happening nearby? Some signs have gone up near some local drop boxes saying that those boxes are under surveillance and that it's illegal to accept money for harvesting or depositing ballots. And please report suspicious activity here. And there's a QR code that links to a King County Republican Party website. Jane, do we know who's posting these signs and why?
2: I've seen reporting that this is associated with the Washington GOP. Um, I think that the actual individuals who are involved with this are not yet known. Um, And it seems like there's just a lot of open questions about what these people's intentions are, um, whether what they have done or what they're encouraging people to do is legal um, and what overall effect this is going to have on voters' openness to using those drop-off boxes.
1: Yeah, I've seen some. Uh, the the state GOP has sort of disavowed the signs, and the King County GOP has explicitly done that and asked them to be taken down. But some of the individual Republicans involved and who said that volunteers put these signs up um, say that this is supposed to act as a deterrent to anybody getting paid to deliver ballots. And one of them said, if they're legally dropping ballots into the box, then the sign shouldn't bother them. But, uh, but some people are bothered. So what, what is, are the signs uh, clearly illegal?
4: Seems pretty open. Um, So
2: I know that King County elections has asked the sheriff's office to investigate this, um, whether this could be some form of voter intimidation. And what I've read about voter intimidation seems very uh, designed around traditional voting practices where folks go to a polling location and vote in a booth and leave. Um, Whereas here in Washington, we've got these wonderful drop boxes and that feels like a a slightly different situation than what a lot of folks elsewhere in the country do. Um, But you can definitely see from looking at what are examples of voter intimidation, how that could carry over into having someone surveil a site. Um, So it seems like, you know, the signs themselves are um, encouraging folks to sign up for these shifts to watch the boxes. Um, But what they actually do on their shifts, I think would really determine whether that constitutes voter intimidation. So things that uh, are voter intimidation include, um, following voters to, from, or within a polling place. And arguably, you know, if you're just sitting there, is that okay? You know, if you're, if you're actively trying to follow them and watch them, maybe that crosses a line, um, or harassing voters. So aggressively questioning them about their qualifications to vote or asking, you know, who they are, what business they have. I think, uh, what constitutes harassment is a little bit squishy there, um, but yeah, I mean, I think that in coming weeks, we will hopefully get some more clarity on whether these signs are uh, able to be left up um, and what folks are going to do about that in the long run.
4: I think we really need to put these signs in the context of uh, you know, a nationwide conservative conspiracy theory that our local elections are fraudulent, uh, which they, there is no evidence to suggest that they are fraudulent at, at, at large scale. Um, you know, I, I earlier this week, uh, prominent Republicans, uh, former Attorney General Bill Barr, Carl Rove, they announced that they, they launched this nonprofit group that's going to launch legal challenges to local elections nationwide, uh, again, contesting that those elections are, are fraudulent. And that's the narrative that these signs are trying to promulgate. You know, our, our King County elections are, <laughs> are well run. <laughs> they are safe. Uh, these signs imply the opposite. And they're encouraging uh, a sort of vigilantism that I think is is dangerous. Uh, I, I don't know, Bill, if you if you mentioned already that you know when when people use the QR code to look at the group's website on the signs, they're um, they're reminded that it's legal to carry guns near voting near voting places. I think in the context of widespread gun violence, um, that could be construed as as potentially intimidating. But it, it remains to be seen whether the, the signs dissuaded any voters from from dropping off their ballots.
2: Absolutely. And uh, the Institute for Research and Education on Human Rights, which is actually based here in Seattle, has been following um, a lot of far-right and militia groups' actions. And so what's happening here is really, like Catherine said, part of this nationwide effort to try and discredit um local elections and just election results in general and um, playing into this narrative that you know there's there's a lot of fraud and that it needs to be watched.
1: And it might be tricky to know what's okay and what's not in Washington state you can give your ballot to a family member for example and just and and we can have we can have ballot parties where people collect a bunch of votes and turn them in together Uh, The signatures all get checked before before they're counted, but that's that's not illegal. But when someone, if if there's a sign talking about surveillance, um, you might start to wonder what am I going to get hassled for? Uh, Yeah, but but as you say, if are the signs informative? Are they intimidating? I don't know who's going to decide. We're right, you know, the election the 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 uh, election ballots are due. I think it's August second. So I don't know whether someone's going to just pull up signs. I don't know whether people are already just uh, taking it, and it. I can get Jane is nodding. Some people are already just removing the signs themselves.
2: Oh, yes. Um, if you check out the Seattle subreddit, um, there are definitely folks who at least claim to have removed the signs or at least they've taken the signs and put them next to uh, trash cans, suggesting that they have pulled the signs themselves and removed them. Um, I also have seen I have not actually seen in person whether or not anyone has actually done this, but there have been suggestions of folks uh, replacing the QR codes to lead to something um, more fun or sometimes sinister. But I think on the fun end of the range, um, having a QR code instead of going to this website that you can sign up to watch one of these ballot boxes instead, it's a rickroll. (laughs)
1: Is it legal to tamper with or remove someone's sign when the sign has not been determined to be illegal?
2: If not illegal, it's certainly, I'm sure, you know, the original folks who put up the signs won't be thrilled about it. But in the same way that we're not sure exactly who put up the signs, I think the folks who are thinking about modifying signs are relying on anonymity.
1: Yeah. Okay. well, again, even even the King County uh, GOP chair has disavowed and and called, I think, called for the removal of the signs. Um, Okay. anything more to say about that before we turn to any reason to smile? I cling to that last (laughs) segment of the show sometimes. Um, What what has made my guests um, hopeful or just um, pleased this week that you want to pass on to us?
3: Well, I'll just say, uh, you know, to piggyback on what uh, uh, Jane and Catherine said, uh, instances of voter fraud are, are very rare. So uh, that is one thing we're doing very well. Way to mm-hmm. go, America. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, the other thing that made me smile uh, earlier this week, uh, Monday, we all got to see uh, Julio Rodriguez, the Mariners uh, star rookie center fielder in the home run derby. If you didn't see that. He put on an awesome show, really uh, Opened up a lot of eyes uh, around the country to folks who weren't uh, paying attention to Mariners baseball. And they start up again uh, today, try to continue that uh, 14-game winning streak against the uh, against the Astros, the villainous Astros there. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. Keep, been keeping a smile on my face for the last two weeks. Hope we can carry it through.
1: Aren't the Houston Astros the cheatgrass of the Major League Baseball?
3: something like that or cheat grass, treat uh, uh, trash can whatever whatever they were banging at the time yeah uh,
1: or was that another team somebody cheated I remember stole si- stole signs and stole signals uh, uh, that was the oh, Astros yeah oh that was definitely Astros okay so do you uh do you think that a layoff ruins the winning streak you know ruins all the momentum
3: oh golly I hope not I I think they were all ready uh, for rest they got uh, uh, the, Kyle Lewis, their uh, former Rookie of the Year, uh, uh, coming back, so uh, things things are looking good. And it sounds like they're going to have a sellout crowd or s- close to a sellout crowd uh, tonight. So you know, Soto mojo, right?
1: Yes, Soto mojo. How about you, uh, Catherine? I'm sorry about the cheat grass. I know you were telling me that you were you were fist shaking at the cheat grass. So so on the positive side, Catherine, what made you smile this week?
4: Well, with the news that we're uh, we're gonna have some hotter weather in this upcoming week, I was uh, reflecting back to our our heat dome last year. I was remembering you know what seemed like a sort of a cataclysmic uh, series of events. We had super hot weather, and we also were still battling this this Asian giant hornet, the murder hornet. Right. And it made me think I, I haven't thought about murder hornets for a year. I, where, where are those, where are those bad guys? And it turns out there, there haven't been any confirmed sightings of them this year. So my, my I'm smiling about an absence of something. I'm smiling that so far the Asian giant Hornets uh, seem to seem to be staying underground or, or at least out of sight. Hopefully they're,
1: they're gone for good. Do you know why do they hate the heat dome? What happened to the Hornets? I'd forgotten about them myself.
4: There've been eradication efforts. Yeah, I, yeah. I think those have, those have been, those have been pretty successful, um i i suspect we we might see a few more but uh knock on wood (laughs) won't be for a while
1: they're wherever the wildfire smoke is and they can stay there Uh, jane anything to add before we say so long
2: i have just been loving uh my summer csa box uh from collins orchards want to give them a shout out Uh, community
1: supported agriculture
2: yes community supported agriculture i just get a little box every week just down the street at my neighbor's house, you pick it up from their porch and it is full of cherries and apricots and peaches and everything is just wonderful right now.
1: I feel so much better. Yeah. Let's hear it for the stone fruit. Uh, I want to thank my stone cold, qualified and likable journalists who, who make a show uh, every week. That's what I'm grateful for, that we have Jane C. Hu and Catherine Long from Insider. A Tech correspondent there and from Puget Sound Business Journal, editor in chief Ryan Lambert. Thanks for being the show. I hope you have a a fantastic weekend and and do what you can with the heat. Be aware that sometimes that refreshing water is colder than you think. And uh, thanks again, everybody. Thanks for coming.
4: Thanks for having me. Thanks, Bill.
1: Thanks, Bill. And thank you to Kevin Knistat, who produces this program, and to Teo Popescu and Juan Pablo Chiquiza. They make the social media and the live streaming happen. And if you just caught the end of the show, so why? what else was there? You know, this show is a podcast. Uh, you join us all the time wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, the show's called Week in Review. We've got a new podcast for you called KUOW Shorts. Right now, there's a series up called Blue Suits that I recommend from Shin Yi Pai. Join us online. Join us on podcast. Drop in when we're live streaming shows on YouTube and Facebook, and uh, we'll join us again on the radio in a week for Week in Review. I'm Bill Radke. Have a great weekend.